everyone. The microphone's on today because we're recording. So if you're listening to this in your lounge room at some point during the week, hi there, you're at night church. Uh, I have to excuse my croaky voice. Yesterday I was cheering on the mighty Barrel Blacks who won the first and second grade premiership. Wow. It was a, it was, that's, that's quite an achievement, by the way, in sort of countries, well, any sort of sport. So pretty amazing. All right, have you got a Bible? You need a Bible? Uh, Revelation chapter 15 and 16 we're looking at. If you don't have a Bible, let's stand up, take a stretch, grab a Bible, and uh, hopefully everyone looks like everyone's got one, which is good. You're just taking a stretch anyway. Excellent. There we go. Or you're using an iPad or a phone or something like that. Okay. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word now, we ask that you would help us to concentrate. Uh, it's a tricky passage, and uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help me to speak clearly. We ask that you'd help us to put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you about Sky Hipwool. Sky Hipwool's son was shot dead on their front driveway by their neighbour. Uh, the neighbour was high, abusive and vandalising, their house and so Sky's 20 year old son uh, went across and confronted him an argument broke out and he was shot he died right there in the driveway after a five-week trial and an almost a two-year wait for justice on Tuesday the neighbor was convicted of manslaughter not the more serious charge of murder now, I don't know all the details. I, I didn't follow the case or anything like that, but what, you, what I want you to hear is Sky's comments after the uh, court's ruling. And it was through tears. She said, I don't think there's a justice system. I think there's a legal system. And it's all catered around the defence. You see, we, we long, as human beings, we long for justice. This week was also the 17th anniversary of the 2011... Sorry the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks in New York, Washington and Pennsylvania. About 3,000 people died. It would be fair to say that the quest for justice and retribution has been a feature of the daily news ever since. Fair argument. Now, I remember the day well. Uh, some of you weren't alive. Uh, <laughs> but I remember it well because um, I remember watching the second plane, I think it was flying into the South Tower, of World Trade Centre. I remember watching it live on TV in our lounge room there in Haberfield. It was about 9.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, give or take. Uh, Wes had already woken us up um, at about 4.30 that day. Thank you, Wes. Um, <laughs> uh, and I was preparing to head off to Bible College, get on my push bike and ride down through the streets and then this happened. Now, as the day went on, I, um, I remember wrestling with other students about what, what do we pray? What, what do we... How do we talk to God about this? Uh, we prayed for victims, family and friends. We prayed for wisdom as governments responded. We prayed for peace. And we prayed and we longed for justice. We longed for justice. Well, these two chapters, chapters 15 and 16, that we look at today in Revelation, we see the way in which God pursues justice. We see the fulfilment of God's plans to punish the world for its opposition to him and to his people. God is angry, but it's a just anger. And so he punishes those who continue to sin. 
who have opposed him and have brought about injustice in the world. Now, guys, it's a difficult passage to read. It's not an easy passage at all. Um, The main difficulty is because we know people who still reject God. And we know people who, uh, are what the Bible calls, they, they live in sin, they, they reject him. But it's reassuring at the same time because it reveals to us the holy character of God and that those who reject him, him and bring pain and suffering to others will not get away with it. Now hear this as we start. Punishment can seem awful, but lack of punishment is far worse. Okay, well this is the last of these concurrent, uh, overlapping, simultaneous sequences of visions in Revelation. Again, it's a cycle of seven. Get into the habit of that. This time it's seven bowls. It's another camera angle as God unveils reality. But the difference this time is that this judgment, as opposed to, say, the, the trumpets from chapters 8 and 9, this time it's total, which is it's, it's, this judgment is poured out onto the framework of God's creation and it's now final in its effects. So if you haven't got Revelation 15 open in front of you, do that. Uh, in, look, if you're a, clan, a fan of uh, classical music, chapter 15 is... Uh, there's probably not a lot of fans of classical music here, but there'll be a few. Chapter 15 is what we call in uh, classical music... Um, I say we, that's a bit rich. Uh, what they call in classical music, it's a prelude. In other words, it's a bit of a warm-up. Uh, it's, it's the start of a symphony that introduces what's to come. Musically, it's quite fascinating, but I won't go into that now. But it sets the tone. Uh, many people love it. They say it's the important part of the piece. So here, that's what chapter 15 is. Chapter 15 is the prelude to the end, which is described in chapter 16. So... We'll get onto it. We'll read it in just a minute. But John's quite specific. We'll note first of all, he actually he says these are the last plagues because with them God's wrath is complete. The picture of reality unveiled to us is uh, what we read here in these chapters is the wor- the end of the world as we now as we know it. So let's read um, verse fifteen, verse one, uh, chapter fifteen, verse one. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign: seven angels with the last seven plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is, is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. So it's a picture here. Remember we're painting pictures. This is all metaphors and, and, and analogies. We don't read them literally. They're telling a story about what God will do or is doing. So the picture here is the victorious people of God standing beside the sea and they're looking back. So our minds, because we know our Bibles pretty well, our minds, we ought to be taken back to Exodus. Remember that the people of Exodus, the Israelites escaping out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea and they look back and they see the, their captors, uh, their persecutors, they see the Egyptians being drowned in front of them. Uh, It's a picture of God's judgment. That's what we read here. But there's an assurance, a great assurance, and that is that those who are faithful to Jesus are safe. Did you pick that up? They're secure. They're standing on the shore, watching the Egyptians behind them, watching them behind, and they're safe on dry land. These are those who have patiently endured. 
They, they did not have the mark of the beast. Remember that from last week? They had the mark of Jesus. In other words, that, their identity with was Jesus. They trusted him. They refused to submit to the beast. They stood firm against the devil and his schemes, whatever the cost. Friends, that's the Christian victory. Remaining faithful to Jesus, standing firm against the devil. Well, these, as these uh, faithful ones stand together, they sing. Isn't that cool? They sing. Singing is so good. Singing is the great response to God, isn't it? They sing. But what do they sing? Well, look at halfway through verse 2. They held harps given them by God. And other translations say they held guitars, but they're dodgy translations. Anyway, I'd like to think they're guitars, but they're probably just harps. Anyway, that's, that's off the point. What do they sing? They sung, they sang a song of Moses. We read that in, verse, uh, in Exodus 15. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. What's going on there? The song of Moses, leader of the old covenant. The song of the Lamb, that's Jesus, obviously. That's the old and new covenants coming together. You see that? One. Coming together as one. That's significant. But, and also, without a word about themselves or any of their heroism, uh, they sing only to God, the one and true God. They sing, Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, tragically, as we see in a few moments, the outpouring of God's judgment described in the following chapter produces no such acknowledgement of God, only cursing and bitterness. Well, what follows in verse 5 onwards is John's vision, uh, and it's a frightening sight. Listen carefully or read along. After this I looked, and, I, and in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple, now the temple represents God's presence, out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their waists, around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now here's the reality. The reality is that the judgment of God is inescapable and it's inevitable. And that's something that people find very hard. Maybe you find that hard. That God will actually judge. No, no, he will judge. And, and even bring an end to this world one day in his judgment. And we just, no, God wouldn't do that, would he? No, no, he's not like no, he, he promises he will. And he is already. And as we've seen through already in Revelation, God is presently judging the world. Right now, um, Hurricane Florence, a uh, lovely name for a hurricane, is uh, battering the, the coast of Carolina in the States. There's actually an even bigger um, typhoon, they're called in, in Asia, um, hitting, coming close to Hong Kong. It's gone through the Philippines. But Hurricane Florence, Florence uh, 165 kilometre hour winds, a huge storm surge, you might have seen on the news, torrential rain. There's a funny story though during the week, I don't know if you saw it, uh, nothing to do with this sermon but I'll share it with you anyway. Um, it, uh, there was a, a reporter, a TV reporter doing a live cross 
and he was out there in the storm, the wind and the rain and all the rest of it. And, and the, the, his, the picture shows him doing this, you know, recording and buffeting against the wind, holding back the wind like that, really wrestling with the wind. And there's a back to you, you know, this sort of stuff. And then in the background of the TV shot, two men casually walk by in shorts and T-shirt. Uh, there's a little picture of it. It's quite funny. There they are. So this guy here is going... And these guys in the back. Yeah, how's it going? Going well? Good. Yep. <laughs> funny story. In any case, um, in, in the United States, they, they give a lot of warnings for um, these hurricanes. They're, they're obviously used to them. They're quite common in that part of the world. And uh, the technology is there to tell everyone. They even had the president come on and say, look, you need to get out. You need to go. You need to heed the warning and go. But many didn't. Many didn't heed the warning. And they chose to stay. Now, a couple of days ago on... Uh, BBC website, they did a story on why people ignore hurricane warnings. It's really interesting. And they came up with three reasons. Three reasons why people ignore hurricane reasons. The, the, I've got them down. The first one is this, that, is that humans are optimists. This is what they reckon. We tend to think about the way things will go right rather than the way things will go wrong. So we say, well, we'll escape. We'll be all right. We'll be fine. We know that somebody, else, somebody will get hit, but it won't be us. It's in, in Aussie, that's, um, she'll be right, mate. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's the first one they came up with. The second one is they, they reckon, well, there's uncertainty. So we've never gone through this before, this hurricane, so we're really not quite sure. We have no plan, and so we're not sure what to do. And so with our uncertainty, well, we just do nothing. We just do what we've always done, and that's nothing. Uncertainty. Another reason why we, people ignore hurricane warnings. The third one, the BBC called a herd mentality. That is, when it comes to ignoring what warnings and evacuation orders, we are very much influenced by what our friends and our neighbours do. So if we're not sure what to do, well, we just look over the fence. And if our neighbours aren't packing up and going and evacuating, well, we'll do the same. We'll just stay there. But it never seems to... Well, we never seem to get it that... And uh, we never seem to acknowledge that actually our neighbours are no more knowledgeable than us anyway. So as bad as each other. Fascinating stuff, isn't it, I think? Uh, I tell you, perhaps, perhaps people are a little bit like that when it comes to ignoring the warnings of the coming judgment of God. Those three reasons up there. Maybe that's what it is. But God tells us in his word that we ought to be ready... And he even tells us what we are to prepare for. His judgment is coming. It'll be terrible for those who don't heed the warnings and it's inevitable. There's no uncertainty at all. So we must prepare ourselves. But there's a case for optimism. No, no, optimism's not the right word, is it? Because there's no doubt here at all. Those who belong to the Lamb, where do they stand? Well, they're standing on the side of the sea it's safe and secure with Jesus. They will be victorious in the end. All right, well, let's get to these seven bowls. It's chapter 16. And first we read about the six plagues or six bowls. Uh, but chapter 16 works like this. The earth is judged, that's bowl one to four. Evil forces institutions, that's bowls five and six. And finally, a big cosmic judgment is proclaimed at the last bowl is poured out. 
What we read is a description in this chapter of the last days. It's a New Testament term. Um, that is the days between uh, the resurrection of Jesus and his, re- his return. So we're in the last days, just like the New Testament writers. We live in the last days as we wait for Jesus to return. In chapter 20, we get to this in a couple of weeks' time, but these days, these last days, are called the millennium, the thousand years. Remember again that these seven bowls are another one of the sequences or cycles that overlap, that are simultaneous. So they're another camera angle of the same reality as we wait for Jesus. So 16 verse 1, and note as we read, this is, and this picture is painted before us, note the obvious Exodus type images. Remember the plagues of Exodus, the the judgment of God on the Egyptians. So the plagues and the sores and the blood and the darkness, hailstones. They're not literal things um, in terms of this picture that was painted in front of us. They're a description of God's judgment on on the people. So let's have a read. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they, came, they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments. For who are for you are you who are and who were the holy one because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, "Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments." The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch the people with fire, and they were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their plans, their pains and sores, but they refused to repent of what they'd done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare prepare the way for the kings from the east. Um, You might remember couple of weeks back the dreaded Parthians everyone was scared of the Parthians coming across the Euphrates from the east it's that picture again of God's judgment just like them but what's the most distressing thing here it's not easy reading is it the most distressing thing part of this picture I think comes to the end of verse 9 and verse 11 you might have seen it uh, the end of the fifth the fourth and the fifth bowl the people curse God and refuse to repent that, that's really the heart of sin, isn't it? Don't you think? Even though they know God, even though they've experienced his power and seen it, they refuse to admit that they need him. You know, one of the, there's a, there's a, current, a common occurrence uh, every summer in surf life-saving, uh, on our patrolled beaches, that is, something that most sane people wouldn't even know is going on and probably would never have experienced. So speak to any volunteer or paid surf lifesaver. Uh, This occurrence is far too common. That is of people who refuse to be rescued when it's obvious to everyone that they need to be rescued. 
They're struggling for breath and they say, no, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm good. Uh, As they're battered by the power of the waves slowly sinking down, they say, no, I'm all good. I'm okay. No, don't need to be rescued. In fact, speak to a few surf lifesavers and they'll tell you about times that they have been abused, abused as they've reached out to help people, as they've paddled out, you know, they've been sworn at. That's the heart of sin, isn't it? Isn't that the heart of sin with God? It's a refusal to admit that we're in grave danger without him, our rescuer. Well, before the final bowl is poured out, before justice is fulfilled, there's a mention of the great day of the Almighty. We could call this section the interlude. It's a bit of a breather, I suppose, before that final day of judgment is, is described. So it's um, point three uh, as we're going through. It's verses 13 to 16. Let's read verse 13. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There's the evil triad right there and then. We're not sure what these frogs are, by the way. John doesn't really tell us, but we do know they work against God's purposes, influencing for evil. Anyway, verse 14. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of of God Almighty. Now at the place, uh, and, and we find out what the place is in verse 16, the place is, in Hebrew is called Armageddon. No, it's not the box office hit from Bruce Willis, which happened to be on TV last night. How about that? It's a forgettable movie like many of Bruce uh, Willis's uh, movies. Um, so I don't know what it was about. I think it was about some, it was about some meteor or something. Asteroid coming, classic. Good people, fantastic. Um, <laughs> No, no, not one of Ben Affleck's best. I live. Yeah, what did she do afterwards? Nothing. That's a bit sad, isn't it? There you go. I don't know. That's what, that, that's actually. They're not. That is. That is. This is all being recorded. Um, <laughs> that is. Uh, what's his Aerosmith's lead singer's? Yeah, Steve Tyler's daughter. Did you? You met her at a dinosaur museum. Him. Really. Classic. There you go. Yeah, he, he is a fossil. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. Um, well, this. Oh, well, let me tell you this. Um, uh, this Armageddon takes its name from the Hebrew word for mountain, which um, is Ha. Uh, you can really get a little, you know, get, get going in your throat if you want to give it a go. It's ha. That sort of thing is a Hebrew in the back there. I didn't do a lot of Hebrew at Bible college, a little bit, mostly Greek. But uh, that's the way you'd sort of pronounce it if you want to impress your friends at parties. Um, that's the ha, the Hebrew word for mountain, and then Megiddo. Megiddo was a fortified hill on the edge of and overlooking the valley of Jezreel. It was the scene of many great battles in antiquity and the Old Testament as well. So it's a mixture of those two. So in, in dreadful imagery, it really is, this is a picture of mankind, the kings of the world, destroying itself in a, in a horrendous demon-inspired battle. It's interesting that, the, again, it's the devil uh, working to destroy his own. The devil's no one you want to party with. The devil is not for you at all. But there's great assurance for John's readers as Jesus' words in Matthew 24 are quoted. We read them also. Sam read them for us in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 15. Behold, I come like a thief. 
Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. We'll work out what that means in a minute. But John encourages his readers, just like Jesus did, that they've got nothing to fear from Armageddon. Nothing to fear. They've got nothing to fear when the battles of this earth take place. And of course many are happening now. Uh, They've got nothing to fear if one day something very big happens like that. Because Jesus is coming. With him you're safe, you're secure. Now it does say Jesus will come without warning like a thief. So Jesus says stay awake, be watchful. That's where the blessing lies. He says clothe yourself. Now again it's pictures but it's clothe yourself with righteousness. Being like Jesus so that you won't be exposed on the day he comes. So on the day he comes he won't say to you, you never knew me. Well, finally, the seventh bowl is poured out. Uh, The seventh plague, destruction of the air. Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. I think, again, we're meant to to be reminded of the cross where Jesus says it is finished. Uh, Here God says it is done and then it comes about. So verse 18, with very much judgment type language, There came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon, the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Now we'll come back to Babylon in a couple of weeks' time. um, But... What we, know, what we ought to see here is that God doesn't miss Babylon. Babylon's the evil Babylon that took the Israelite people. Verse 20, every island fled away from the mountains uh, that could not be fa- and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, about 45 kilograms each, fell upon men. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. You note that same response. They cursed God. Let's make a few closing comments hey first let's let's look at these wonderful assurances for those who know jesus first god's wrath comes to an end justice gets done but what we ought to remember here is that we want to take careful note that it's god's place to punish non-believers it's not ours it'll be a terrible thing for christians to return to the days of say the crusades Uh, You can read about them if you want to or anything like that. Second, believers in Christ are victorious because God is victorious. We're on the the winning side when you trust Jesus. Third, God is totally holy, zealous for righteousness and he'll bring it about. And fourth, God will give people what they deserve. His wrath will be shown to be just. In other words, if you go through life rejecting God, God will say, well, that's fine, you can have that. And, And God will reject you. God will give you what you desire if you desire to reject God. But there are some awful warnings, aren't there? Have a look at these that we've looked at. Those who oppose God continue to choose to do so to their own destruction. They refuse to repent and so they they suffer judgment. And after judgment, humanity is permanently divided into two groups. It's the saints, those who know him, and those who belong to the beast, those who don't. Well, 
Friends, uh, do you hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? That's us. Do you hear what the Spirit is saying? Are you ready for Jesus' return? And will he find you awake or clothed in righteousness? Will he find you awake and clothed in righteousness or will he find you exposed? That's the question we've got to ask. We've got to be ready for Jesus' return. How about I pray and then if there's any questions we'll, um, we'll ask those questions. We'll make any comments. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your uh, word to us. It's pr- pretty hard tonight. Lord, it's hard because we know people who uh, don't know you and we know people who um, are just like the people we've just read about in chapter 16 who refuse to repent and instead they curse you, their rescuer. Lord, may we never be like that. We pray that we'd be ready and we long for your return. Uh, Lord God, we, um, we long for justice to be done. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. We pray that we'd put your words into practice as Jesus commands us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.